Hello, Tisha. Hi, Jen. Hello, listeners. Thank Hello. you so much for joining us once again on the Now What Pod. Mm-hmm. We are going into week three. How is it already week three of May, by the way? Just is. Time flies, baby. And that's like in podcast time because in real time, it's only for us week two of May. But we record these about a week in advance, like close, (laughs) close to when would they come out. But yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's that whole, you know, production editing time needed. I know it's flying by. You must be feeling the pressure of May flying by as a teacher. Yeah, it's like kind of crunch time at work because you like start looking at the curriculum you're like okay what haven't I covered but I'm actually in like really good shape this year like better than I've ever been in my teaching career so giving myself a pat on the back for that because you're a pro and yeah we recently celebrated Mother's Day here and that's kind of what we're talking about all month here on the podcast yeah Yeah. And I think what's interesting, I don't know if you noticed, I didn't spend a lot of time on my phone on Mother's Day. And it also could just be like algorithms and the way I have curated my feed. But Mm -hmm. I definitely felt like there was a lot more owning of how complicated Mother's Day can actually be. Yes. I noticed that as well, but it, again, you're right. It could be just the types of content that we look at and the types of people that we follow and like the corner of the internet or the corner of the, you know, we inhabit. the world that we are in, but that's the truth of it, right? It's any holiday I think can bring up a lot of feelings for people and people's relationships with their mothers or with their children can be complicated just as any other relationship can be. Mm-hmm. And Mother's Day can bring up a lot of stuff for people. I've always had very low expectations of the day because I think my family, we didn't make a big deal about it. So because of that, I assumed that like, it's just another day. It's not going to bother me. But the just the simple yeah. act of like a more mindful, like, thank you for all that you mm-hmm. do for our family. The yeah. absence of that is like, huge yeah and I didn't I think I don't know if it's because I didn't expect it it feels that much bigger yeah maybe because I think people you hear I think more often people talk about Christmas being hard and so you expect that Christmas is going to be hard without your partner right but like Mother's Day maybe as you said like maybe you just never really thought about it well and also because it was never like like I have friends who they go to brunch with their mom and they you know do like they have like traditions for Mother's Day and yeah other than you know serving my mother cold scrambled eggs in bed we did not on my poor mom all she wanted to do was sleep in like I look back now and I'm like why did dad not fight us more on the insistence of bringing her breakfast in bed that she 1 million percent did not want. She just wanted to be allowed to sleep. <laughs> like, Let's I, be real. I, she did. Like, that's what my, my mom wants to sleep or did that. I know she did. Yeah. What's funny about recording this now is we will have been away the weekend before, <laughs> mm-hmm. which would have been something fun to talk about. Instead, we're talking about this. Yeah. Not fun. This is not a fun intro, friends. No, it's not. My best friend just had a baby. That's fun. She's a mom. She's a mama now. And today was the first visit from our ice cream truck, which in the Hoffelby household is a big freaking deal. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've learned that I don't know if all ice cream trucks do this because ice cream trucks in Canada are very different than they are, at least where I grew up. Where I grew up, they always, it was just like popsicles and like ice cream bars and ice cream sandwiches and stuff like that. Where here we have like slushy machines and soft serve machines in the ice cream trucks. And so I realized that a slushy is a good base for a cocktail. Do it up, girl. Love it. (laughs) So, you know, if you're not feeling ice cream and your ice cream truck has a slushie, you can add a little um, alcohol to your slushie. Yeah. 
That would have been a good Mother's Day treat. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But we're talking to Megan today. Yes, we are. We're going to talk to Megan. You're going to hear her story. I sound like I'm sick in the episode. I don't recall being sick when we recorded it, but Mm -hmm. upon re-listening it, it's kind of weird. People. Patreon. You should head over there. We have another new episode from Jen. Yes. On Patreon, which you can only hear if you subscribe to Patreon. It will never be released publicly. And what's nice about Patreon is that you get some exclusive content, but you also pay for a membership, which is just your way of supporting us. And if you don't feel like doing that, you can also buy us a coffee, mm-hmm. which I don't know if everybody knows what that is, but lots of, you know, content creators and artists and podcasters have this little buy me a coffee link, which you can find on our bio or on our website. It's making a donation that's like the price of a coffee, basically. Yeah. And it's like, saying, I like what you're doing and I support you and here's a coffee on me. That's just another way that you can show us some love because we love you guys. And help just offset like the costs of producing the show because there are costs associated with it. We love doing it, but we also, you know, would love to have some help with that without having to like resort to ads or anything like that. Yeah. With that being said, here's Megan's story. Hi, I'm Jen. Welcome back to Now What? I'm Tisha. This week we're going to be joined with Megan. So welcome, Megan. We're so happy to have you here. Yes, welcome. Hi, ladies. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here, even after the (laughs) mishap that I had of not making it to the last call. So I'm so excited to be here and to talk with you. Yeah. Yeah, we did have one scheduled before and your life is very busy, right? And that's coming from two pretty busy moms ourselves. Yeah. So yeah, we did have one scheduled and then now we have rescheduled and this is such as mom life. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and where you are in the world, what you're doing? (laughs) My name is Megan. I am a grief coach and also a bereaved mother. Right now, currently we are living in Florida, but it moves every single night because we live in a school bus with our six living children. We have a daughter, Aria, that died. It's been a little bit over five, which is a whole nother thing in itself. But my husband and our six children are traveling in a school bus. And mainly because of Aria, who pushed us because of her death, pushed us to realize that our life can end at any moment and so quickly. And so to Mm -hmm. live our dreams and what we really want to do and not push it off for tomorrow. So we are living our dream right now, but I work with grief. I talk about grief all the time. I help grieving moms and support them. And I am carrying my own grief. I live with the grief of the death of my daughter, Aria every single day and just really trying to educate people. I don't focus so much on educating people about grief, but that is a part of what I do. It's more helping the moms know that they're not alone and that they can grieve and there's nothing wrong with their grief and they're not going crazy that they are completely normal with what they're feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important. I'm a widow, so I'm raising a bereaved family and Mm -hmm. grief is really misunderstood and really isolating. It's really isolating. Would you tell us a bit about Aria? Yeah, she was our third child. So we had two boys and a daughter and she was so smiley. I I always called her my princess. She was so smiley. She smiled at everyone. She was so content. She had surgery for her hip. She had hip dysplasia Mm -hmm. at one year old and she was the easiest baby to have to sit in a cast for six weeks because she just she just chilled there she was so happy and content no matter what like it didn't even seem like the cast affected her so that's kind of my memories of her she was just the easiest baby I could have ever asked for she was 15 months old and I was actually pregnant with my next daughter I was 36 weeks pregnant when she died and so Four weeks after she died, I had another baby girl. But that's a lot. It was a lot. 
like a lot of hormones and emotions and like completely and like grieving the loss of one child and trying to celebrate the birth of another it sounds like a real kind of juxtaposition it was and that was a hard thing for me trying to how do you say goodbye that was one thing that I kept going over and over is how do you say goodbye to one child and hello to another in such a short period of time I felt the struggle of knowing and feeling like I want to grieve, which I think a lot of people feel this with their grief, that they have other things in their life that stop them from grieving. I want to say in air quotes, like stop them from grieving, that this isn't allowing me to grieve in the way that I want to. Maybe it's my other kids. Maybe it's my job. Maybe it's my spouse. Maybe it's other people in my life, whatever it is. But for me, it felt like having a newborn and another baby and also PTSD that I wanted to keep all my kids alive. And so I was so stressed about it all the time. It felt like mm-hmm. I couldn't grieve. I was like, I, I can't grieve because I'm trying to keep everyone alive and I can't leave my newborn. You're yeah, just trying was, to survive and make sure everybody else survives. Yeah. And was, like with PTSD comes that kind of hypervigilance, mm-hmm. right? So then how are you grieving when you're just trying to focus on just staying alive? And keeping everyone else <laughs> it was, alive? Yeah. Because in order to grieve, you need to have a safe space and you need mm-hmm. to feel safe. You need to feel like you can grieve because grief is a very, it's a very deep and raw emotion. And Mm -hmm. if you're in PTSD, your body's in more of that state of fight or flight and trying to protect yourself. So it's kind of this, like, how do you grieve when you're in this state of stress and not feeling like you have a safe place to grieve? Well, and then also like grieving is almost an involuntary thing anyway. So whether you're mm-hmm. actively working through that grief or not, it's sitting in you. Yep. That's very true. So how did you find that safe space or did you, or did you find it much later? So when Aria died, I felt like, I, I think of it as like your whole world and your whole life shatters. It's like the foundation of everything you believed that was possible in your life or everything you know other people's children die not yours like that happens to other people like that doesn't actually happen to me right everything that felt safe that felt true it all shattered and it all was torn open and it was like okay so now my job because I want to be the mom that not necessarily the mom that I was before, but I want to be able to raise my other children because after she died, I absolutely fell apart. I absolutely couldn't even function and take care of my kids by myself. And the one thing that drove me was like, I want to feel okay. I want to take care of my kids in a way that feels like I don't need the help from other people all the time. With my trauma and my PTSD, my husband could not leave me overnight with the kids alone. So if he were to have to go out of work, like go out of town for work, I had to go to my mom and dad's house and bring all my kids there and sleep there so that my mom could check on my kids all night long. So I had this just super drive to like, I want to be able to be the mom for my kids again, like a mom that I feel like I can be okay. And so I went to therapy. I did EMDR for my PTSD and that absolutely changed my life. When I went in, he's like, so how does it feel? And I was like, um, like 120% like bad. It was so awful. And then by the time I left, it was like, like 5%, like not hardly anything. It changed my whole experience of my life. And so with that and in that space and time, When I did the EMDR too, I also grieved and processed, but I had that safe space within my therapist's office. But then I've learned over the years, and this is what I do with the moms I work with now, is like different coping mechanisms, tapping, meditations, journaling, breath work, all of these things that help process emotion. And I've learned so much more about emotions now and knowing that my grief is here to stay. My grief is going to be here the rest of my life. And I don't need to fight it. It's not something I need to fight. I can let it come and go when it comes and it's going to be okay. And so I don't know if I really answered your question. I think you did kind of get to it. Like I was wondering how you found that safety and how you were eventually able to grieve because there certainly were 
factors that were interfering with that, right? Well, and I don't know if you were ever told that, but I know that in my own personal situation, there's like a lot of my grieving that probably will go unprocessed or unrecognized until my kids are gone because there's only so much of that you can do around Mm -hmm. your children. I guess there is a balance to that. And I mean, it's a different, it's Mm -hmm. a different type of loss for sure. You know, I'm I'm not here to like compare, but they're very, they're obviously very different types of losses. But I think also when you are trying to mom, there is no safe space when you're trying to mom unless you're in therapy or. And something I had, like, I've had a really amazing support system with friends who were able to give me time. Like if I felt like I needed to do something, they would watch my kids or they would do something, let me and my husband go on a date or like have that time to connect. And I think the thing is that sometimes we think that we grieve and then we're done. Like we get this grief out. That there's an end point, right? Yeah. We think that there's an end point. That's kind of like what people think, but I think of it as layers and waves. Like it's going to come the rest of your life. And sometimes you might have a grief wave that hits. Like for me, maybe when Aria's age of children are getting married, I might have a big grief wave. You know, I might have a grief wave later on in my life. Like it's not that I'm ever done grieving. I have grieved so much where I feel like when grief comes, I'm not afraid of it. Right. It's okay that it's there. And so that's the difference. And I'm not trying to get through grief and get to the end. I am grieving and I can carry my grief now. I'm not fighting it. That's the difference for me is that if grief ever comes up, it's fine. That acceptance piece, I think is so important, right? Like accepting that that grief is there and that it's going to be with you. And I think you said like, you don't fight it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what most people think of acceptance as like, I'm accepting that they're they're dead and they're gone. Like I, I'm okay with it. Yeah. That's not what I meant. (laughs) No, I know. I know. I heard that you were saying that you weren't meaning this. I'm just, a lot of people think acceptance is that, that like, yeah. Okay. You have to accept that, like get to a place like that. You're okay. That's one of the stages of grief, right? Is that you accept that. Yeah. (laughs) And actually acceptance for me is like accepting that this is what happened. Number one, I'm not happy about it. I'm not accepting and okay with it, but this is the reality of what has happened in my life. And also accepting that grief is with you for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And like, it's okay that it's there and you don't have to push it down or fight it or pretend that you're not grieving anymore. Yeah. And how old were your other children when Aria died? My other, were they four and two and a half? Okay. So very young as well. Something like that is impacting the whole family, right? Like it's also impacting your husband. It's impacting those other children. Yeah. As Tisha was asking about your other children. So you've had four children since Aria died. You've added four children to your family. That's what I always have to try to think about. Yes. Four children. It's like, It's so hard when I'm having kids and one has died. I'm like, wait, how many have I had? I've had four kids after. Yeah. Yeah. I have to wonder what that is like because you have these two older siblings who remember her because they were kind of old enough to. And then these four new siblings and family members who obviously I can tell just from like the the way you speak and carry yourself, like Aria is Mm -hmm. a sister still, and she's still a part of the family and as she should be. But what was that? Like, I guess I should say as the little ones got older, Yeah, was it it just a natural kind of, I think we've just always kept her as a part of our family Yeah, with my two older kids, for sure. We took them to therapy right away and they did a lot of play therapy and I homeschool them. So they have a lot of time to process and feel and play and really just talk about things if they come up. And then we just, we incorporate her into our life and we talk about her a lot. We talk about her often. And I, I think the thing with kids that I've learned is that as they grow older, their grief will shift and change and they might have more questions. They might have different questions as they start to understand kind of what happened or understand the situation or that 
you know, their sister died and she's not coming back. And I feel like it's like, it's all okay. When I know that their grief is going to change, that they will ask different questions. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, this is where we're at now. We're talking about this and this is coming up for you. But we definitely keep her as a part of the family and like all my kids, especially my daughter who was born right after her, like that's been one of the biggest losses is that I had two boys, two girls and two boys and that she was like totally lost her sister. And that is like a hard thing. And she she talks about her often and now she has another sister, but it's still like, you never replace that. And yeah, I don't know. We just, we just keep her as part of the family. We talk about her a lot. Yeah, It's funny that I asked that I even asked that question because we kind of do the same thing too. Like we talk about Warren, like just, it's just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess like he's still here, but not, you know, it's not a sad thing. It's just, mm-hmm. we keep him. And I couldn't tell you how <laughs> we do it either. <laughs> so it's, I think it's now in, re- in retrospect, I'm like, why, why did I ask that? Well, just throughout the day, like they'll ask, you know, they'll be like drawing all their siblings and we'll talk about, you know, they'll draw Aria too. It's always just different ways that, and I feel like me and my husband do a little bit more extra of trying to make sure that they incorporate her. Like we will mention her. Where it was coming from is that you have these four children who did not know her while she was here and and I guess that was the basis of the question yeah but as you were answering I'm like yeah of course that's what you do that's what I do I also think like you know I think there are people who would have this happen in their family and would like never speak about it again certainly in my mother's generation for example I think that would have been the way and I think there probably are still people who are like that. Like bad things happen and you just don't ever talk about it again. Yeah. I do think there are people that do have that. And the thing that I've been learning with grief is I, I want to help educate people and know that like, it's okay to talk about grief, Mm -hmm. but also that everybody's going to have their own grief journey. And if somebody decides that that's the way that they want to do their grief journey, like that's, that's up to them. But I do think that's more common in previous generations and it was almost forced on them from outside where now grief is becoming more talked about. Death is becoming more talked about. I still think we have a long ways to go. Mm -hmm. Um, We're definitely not to a place where it's like completely, you know, everybody's comfy with grief. And I don't know if we ever will get there because even as a grieving mom, grief is uncomfortable because it's so much pain and so much sadness and you just want to fix it and you can't fix it. And that's, I think the thing that people struggle with a lot. Well, I think especially as moms, like our go-to is Mm -hmm. to fix. Yeah. And so even like when you're a bereaved person anyway, and you know, you can't fix it, it doesn't, I feel like that mom thing of wanting to fix and make everybody comfortable doesn't go away and so they're like these I've found anyway in my like two and a half years that they're like these competing forces with one another you connect now all the time with other grieving moms and you have become a grief coach you specialize in just helping people who've lost children I focus on that I really believe that grief is like it's all the same in in the way that it's grief is a universal experience. How we experience it changes it depending on our loss and the way that, you know, our relationships and that's unique to each person. But that grief itself, we all have some or not, not have to have, but some sort of anger, maybe guilt, maybe something wish that we could have changed or done differently. The sadness, like all these emotions, like feeling crazy, feeling lost, feeling broken, all of these emotions that we have, but I focus specifically on moms, but what I'm trying to say is everything I do can help anybody, Right. but I do work specifically with moms just because that's my experience. And I know how to connect with them because I've experienced a more similar loss. But as I've worked more, I, I just feel like I can connect with anybody with grief and pain now, because I'm like, I don't, I think in the beginning, I used to compare a lot more. It was like, you don't understand my pain because it's this blah, blah, blah. But now I just know that grief is a universal emotion and it's just really painful and it's just really hard. 
and we're all going to grieve at some point we're all going to grieve mm-hmm. some loss or right so like that's another piece of that universal I think and we've had this conversation before that in this time of the pandemic and I mean you are in Florida and in the U.S. where it's definitely like not as like pandemic-y as it is in Toronto but uh, right now we've endured a lot of lockdowns in Toronto (laughs) (laughs) but loss is even more like universal and and all happening at the same time in this time, right? Which is, I feel like it's come up in so many of these conversations that we've had. So as a grief coach, this is work you came to, like after you began to work through your own grief from Aria, right? This is like, as a result of your loss, did you do like a training or are you just, because I don't know, I don't even know there isn't a lot of like grief focused trainings. This is something you just like, we're, we're like, I know I can help and I'm going to do this. No, I didn't do any training. It's more my own personal experience and what I've learned. And then also just like, no, I just, I know how to help people. (laughs) I just have this, like, I do know how to help them. And then also I'm a constant learner, constantly learning about how, like how our bodies react to grief, how to process emotions, how our bodies feel emotions and And learning how to like through tapping and through meditations and breath work and really helping support and move like maybe heavier emotions out of your body. Mm -hmm. And so it's just been through my experience and really working with moms and seeing like this really helps them. Yeah. And it's really incredible. But you're right. There is not that like there isn't somewhere you can go to be like, oh, I want to be a grief coach. There's not that at currently that I know you can get like different types of trainings in grief, but nothing like, and I would argue that there's a need for it. So it's interesting that it doesn't really exist because certainly people need support. Well, and you said it, it's a universal human experience. Mm -hmm. I do think people will go to therapists for Mm -hmm. support and help a lot, a lot of times with grief. The difference with coaching versus therapy in experience and what I do is therapy is a lot more of like a a safe place to talk and process and kind of work through what's going on and coaching in the way I do it I my clients that I work with have told me like nobody does exactly what you do so it's kind of hard to describe because I connect the body and work through like emotions and meditations but also kind of paying attention to what's going on in your mind and maybe how you're creating more suffering on top of your grief than you need to but therapy focuses on that talking and processing and coaching really helps you process but also learn tools and skills to help you like know that okay I got this I can handle this and it's specific towards grief so some therapists if you're grieving it's I would highly recommend if you're going to a therapist to try find someone who's like experienced a loss and understands grief on a deeper level yeah who's also bereaved yeah I agree it's something you can't really understand until you experience it yourself because many people that I've talked to have had somebody tell them like you just need to get over it. you just need to pick yourself up and move on it's like we don't have any patience for you to grieve because you just got to get over this. Like you're taking too long and now you're turning into complicated grief. And you're yeah. too messy for me. And I don't want to be around that. <laughs> when you can understand more about grief, when you first come to grief, like my experience with Aria's death was the first big death in my life. And I didn't know this kind of grief it even existed in like, you could even feel this way. And to understand that there's nothing wrong with you and that what you're experiencing is normal and the pain that you're feeling like it's so intense but you're not going crazy but just like to know the grief is okay and the more you learn about it yeah and just to kind of normalize that a little bit right because a lot of people aren't talking about grief and then when they're grieving or when they have that first experience of grief they don't even recognize it they don't even know kind of what's what's happening to them and and that it actually is probably a normal reaction right yeah because we have no framework for it 
in your personal experience, did you find that people didn't know how to respond or react around you or to the news of Arya's death? Um, yeah, I would say in the beginning, I, I felt kind of awkward. I felt like I had a big sign on my forehead that said, my daughter died, don't talk to me. And like, I would go around to church and to places with people. And I just like, I, I felt like there was this tension, like everywhere I went, I was the lady whose daughter died and nobody wanted to talk to me. Everyone was scared. They didn't know what to say to me. Should they bring it up? Should they not? And I have no idea, honestly, like that could have been my own perception, but I definitely um, withdrew and like went inwards and really surrounded myself with just a few people. Like I had amazing friends in my family, like a few people that I, I was just like, I don't really, I'm not interested in being like social with a bunch of people that I don't really know. I would way rather get together with close friends because I know I can talk about Aria. I know I can talk about what's going on with me. And I also know that we can also have amazing conversations and laugh and talk about their lives without feeling like they're like, oh, can we talk about this or not? Because they're worried about stepping on my toes. So I kind of separated myself for a little while and now I'm, I'm not there anymore, but I would totally withdrew and found those supportive people because people don't always act very nice. You know, like when you say, and I think right away when she died, I always had to mention, like, if somebody asked how many kids I had, I always had to say like, well, I had, I have two, but my daughter died or, you know, I, I have three, but one of them died. So I only have two or, you know, I have to mention her and my husband never did. And I was like, why in the world do you not say and he's like he doesn't feel like having that conversation with people and I couldn't understand it but as time went on and sometimes you get good reactions from people like good as in like you know they're kind and they respond in a way that I like and whatever but a lot of times you kind of get like awkward reactions or like they like quickly change the subject or all of a sudden they gotta go or then it's kind of like oh you know what like I actually don't really feel like talking about that with you because now I have to deal with this like feeling of, I feel like I have to make it better or something. Yeah. And like, almost like stressed, like disappointed, stressed. Yeah. Like I brought this up and now like rejected almost or something. And sometimes I talk about it, but something I've thought about is like, not everybody deserves to hear my story. And if it feels right, I'll share. And sometimes I don't. And that feels really good for me now. So like, I don't have to deal with those reactions from people when they're not the greatest. And I was thinking about just like your husband, I could imagine myself, depending on who this person was and like, you know, if it's a new coworker that I'm going to be seeing every single day, maybe I might tell them, but if it's somebody I'm just going to meet in passing, then maybe it's not like maybe you don't want to go there. Yeah, that's kind of like, like maybe you just don't want to deal with all of it. Yeah. I kind of just play it by ear nowadays for myself. Yeah. Like it just depends on the situation. And I used to beat myself up about that. Like I have to I used to think I have to always say. And now it's just like, no, it depends on did it feel like you weren't honoring her if you didn't mention her? Yeah. Yeah, it felt like I was forgetting her or leaving her out or just you know, dishonoring her. But now it sounds like, and I can understand that, like, not everybody deserves to know about her. Yeah. She's yours. Yeah, and, and you which know. is weird because this is like my job and my work. So I talk about it all the time. But that's when I'm like choosing to talk about it and talking about it with people who want to talk about it right. rather than like, well, yeah. who are grieving yeah. or were sympathetic to the experience, right? So I feel like that's safer. That's very different than like you're at a dinner yeah. party and you meet somebody and they're like, oh, how many kids do you have? Like, yeah, that's a very different scenario, I think. Yeah. Like your work is grief specific. So it makes sense that you're talking about her there. Is there any other piece of your story that you would like to share with our audience? So 
I work with moms and really help them process the emotions that they're feeling. And like there's top down processing and bottom up processing. Top down is like your, your thoughts, your brain talking, all that kind of stuff. And bottom up is like your body felt sensations, emotions, maybe like movement in your body, doing yoga type things, really feeling what's going on in your body. And when I help moms realize that grief in itself is painful, no matter what, there's nothing I can do to help them not feel grief, to make it feel better. Like that's just the nature of grief. That's what it is. But we create so much suffering on top of grief. And that's what I call dirty grief. So clean grief is like, that's what grief is. It's clean grief is like, we miss them. Like I miss them. I just wish I could hug them one more time. I really have this deep longing and sadness for them. That is clean grief. That's a beautiful thing, no matter how painful it is. Dirty grief is the suffering Mm. through the thoughts that we think of things like I could have done done something to save them. If only I would have done this or that. If I could have, for me, my dirty grief thought was if I would have gone in the room in the night, maybe she wouldn't have died. Thoughts that really create suffering and make you beat yourself up. Maybe it's a lot of like the guilt thoughts that come up. They're the thoughts that cycle over and over and over. And you don't ever get out of this loop. You're in the cycle of guilt or cycle of it could even be like anger is creating a lot of suffering, which I'm not saying anger or guilt or any of these are bad. It's just that that becoming aware of your clean grief and dirty grief really helps you be like, okay, I'm in dirty grief. I'm creating a lot of extra suffering for myself. And it takes, it's a lot of processing and work to be able to get out of dirty grief to clean grief. But the thing with dirty grief is that we create that ourselves on top of it. So knowing that we are creating this extra pain is helps to be able, okay, how can I get through this? How can I support myself to get just to clean grief? Because clean grief will have the rest of our lives always. It's just going to be there. But that dirty grief is really unnecessary and optional. And if we can have tools to help us process and work through it, we can begin to let go of the dirty grief. Does that make sense? Or is there? Yeah, it does. And so that's part of the work that you're doing, obviously, right? Yeah, especially with guilt, because guilt is an emotion that I think a lot of grievers in general feel, and especially moms with child loss feel. I feel like with child loss, especially, there's just so much yeah. Because you're the parent and you feel like you should have or could have. Yeah, it's a major, major emotion that many moms deal with. And a lot of people will tell them like, it wasn't your fault. There's nothing you could do. Just let it go. And I'm like, okay, saying that, does that make them not feel guilty anymore? Are they like, okay, I'll just let it go. I'm all good. Or does that like shut down their ability to be able to talk about it with you? And being able to process it and work through it. And something I tell moms and when I'm working with them is like, let's hold space for that guilt. Let's hold space for what's going on, those emotions, those thoughts, knowing, even knowing that it's dirty grief, knowing that this is okay for me to be here. Like this is kind of part of my process right now. And as you begin to process and work through it, like there will come a time that you decide that you don't deserve to feel that guilt anymore or you don't want to go down that path anymore Mm -hmm. I think of it as like there's also a way of thinking of it like that's a cul-de-sac that you know you're good on that cul-de-sac down that road there's a cul-de-sac at the end and that's where your guilt loop goes and you can keep driving past that or you can drive down there and you just know you're going to go in circles over and over and over and for me I know exactly what will send me into feeling guilt and to send me in that guilt loop. But I just don't go there anymore. I, I went there enough. I lived there enough and I'm done. I don't need it. So I think it's important for moms to be able to acknowledge the guilt and process it and feel it and also have that space to decide at some point that I, I don't need to go there anymore. Mm-hmm. But that's in their own terms. There's nobody else can tell them when to do that. Was there a moment for you 
where you kind of came to that realization for yourself? Or do you think it happened slowly over time? Like you said that you know exactly what takes you there. And you had that thought that you kind of ran through all the time that if you had gone there in the middle of the night and checked on her that she would still be here. Like, when did you kind of come to that realization that you were adding to your own self? I do think it kind of came over time in some ways, just because of the processing and feeling and really, I made an effort to really sit with my emotions and let myself feel and process because one of my biggest fears was getting stuck in grief. I was like, I don't want to be stuck here. So I really was letting myself feel grief. But I also had a moment with my therapist that I don't know if it was specific to to guilt or if it was with another thing that he just said, I feel like you're you're like at a stop sign. Like you're driving along and you keep coming to the stop sign and you can't go any further because you keep going over and over this this thing. And so you're going to have to decide if you're going to go past that stop sign or if you're going to stay right there. And for me, that has helped in so many ways. And I'll give an example that wasn't related to guilt that this, this really helped me with. But something that I was struggling with was because Aria died in her sleep in the night was that I needed to check on all my kids all night long. And so I couldn't check on them. So my husband had to check on them. So he was getting exhausted because I would get him up like five times every night. Like you need to go check on the kids. And as I was working through this and trying to like be okay with not having to check on them all night, this, like he was just like, you, what if you could decide that whether you check on your kids right now or you check on them in the morning, I know it's going to sound really morbid, but if you could check on your kids right now and they're dead, or you could check on them in the morning and they're dead, they're still going to be dead. So do you have to check on them right now? And that helped me. I, I know it can sound really weird, but it helped me be able to go all through the night without having to check on them all night. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, if they're going to be dead, right now they're dead in the morning. So why do I have to go check on them all night long? So it's like these little things that you can switch in your mind. And that's kind of what the stop sign is. And those loops that we keep going through and like, how can you shift those things so that you can get past that stop sign and get out of that loop? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think it can, you know, that can be tough. Oh, it's the toughest. <laughs> I, this is not easy. Like to recognize that you're doing it, to stop yourself from doing it. Like there's so many layers that just make that, I think, difficult. Oh, yeah. It's not called grief work for nothing. And I would say it's one of the yeah. hardest things I've ever done in my life. Yeah. And like yeah. now I'm in what I feel like is a really good place. But that it's not because I didn't do anything. I worked so hard and I did so much processing and therapy and coaching and working on myself to get where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And that's what I always want to encourage other people is like get help because sometimes we can't see what's going on inside of our brains because it's so normal to us. And an outside perspective can help us be like, oh, really? I didn't even know that was an option. Like, For me, feeling two emotions at once, I thought I was going crazy. And my therapist was like, what if you could feel both happy and sad at the same time? I was like, oh, really? I thought I was going crazy. Like, I didn't know that you could do that at the same time. Like, having somebody outside of yourself is so helpful to process and to see kind of what you can't see and help kind of guide you through, through what you're experiencing without feeling like you go over that waterfall or that cliff and never come back. I have to imagine too, like you've become just listening to you. You've, you know, obviously gained some expertise in the area of grief. And I think that learning process for you, I have to imagine that it helped you understand all of the things that you were experiencing as well. And like on an intellectual level. Yeah. It's actually been really interesting because when I started doing this work, it was a different perspective. So when I started doing the work, I was a grieving mom. And then I was like, okay, so now if I flip to the other side and now I'm helping grieving moms, how do I help grieving moms? It's like, I have no idea because the only thing they want back is their child. And I can't fix that. I can't change that. There's nothing I can do to help them. But as I've 
really learned. And a lot of the things I've learned has been different personal development things, um, energy work type things that I've learned from different perspectives of life. And I've taken them and specifically applied them to grief and child loss. And it's kind of amazing and interesting as I learn things, I'm always like, okay, how can this apply to grief? How can this help grieving moms? How can this support them on their journey with a little bit different perspective? And so I feel like I've learned a ton, almost way more because I do the work all the time, but because I'm thinking of it in a different way now, rather than just experiencing it and just being the experiencer, I'm like, okay, how can we help this experience that I've experienced (laughs) it's kind of a it's kind of interesting right there's something to be said and and I think you touched on it before and finding like somebody who is bereaved when you're seeking support like there's something to be said for being seen by somebody who has kind of walked the path that you are you know what I mean and even if you're talking about tapping where there's tons of like people and resources you can go to tapping for, but you're going to speak to it in a way that probably hits more for those grieving mothers. Yeah, that's, that's my hope. And that's you know the work I do. Yeah. I think it's really important because I think, and, and I've said this before, like in general, culturally here in North America, we're very grief averse and like, death averse and like just don't want to talk about it even though like technically we're all dying and we're all gonna die and we're all gonna have someone we love die and we're all gonna have losses and and what have you but we like to pretend that that's not gonna happen or just not deal with it so to have somebody who's like I don't know just again speaking from purely personal experience there there's advice that somebody who's not experienced a traumatic loss could give me that somebody who has experienced traumatic loss could give me some similar advice. And it, I, yeah, no, I hear you. Cause sometimes we can have that in our heads. Like, well, you don't even understand at all what I'm experiencing. Like you don't, like you're saying that, but, but then when you have somebody who has experienced even something similar, it's like, Oh, okay. Like that you, you have had that help you or you have felt the change with that and a little bit more open to hearing that. Well, and it's like, I think once you are, you know, living with a great loss, like I can understand and respect that your loss is very different from mine. And while there are still commonalities there, I don't know, like, and maybe it's just like in my head or whatever, but it's like, you don't even have the framework to get where I'm coming from. Like you couldn't even fathom it yeah. to somebody else. Right. And like, where it's like, yeah. you can well, fathom you it. Can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've said it before. I think it can be with any loss, but it's almost like you can speak without words. It's that deep knowing that, mm-hmm. you know, what it's like to scream by yourself because you're crying so hard or having those deep wrecking stops. Like, you know, that because you felt that grief. And so it's like a speaking without words and knowing that a lot of grief is alone and by yourself and really processing. It's such a deep internal processing and work. And it's, it's one of the most painful things you can ever experience. And we're all going to, we are. And it's also beautiful. Like how I can work with grieving moms is knowing that them processing their emotions is one of the most beautiful things they can do for themselves and their lives and the pain is so deep because we love so deeply and because we had such a gift in our lives and it's part of our lives it's part of being a human yeah absolutely will you share with us where people can find you and listen to your podcast I'm assuming you talk about grief. Yes, I do. (laughs) Yes, my podcast is called Gravy Moms Podcast. And I do. So right now I focus on my podcast. And then I also have a membership for grieving moms. It's has those tapping meditations, group coaching calls, breath work. It's really a place where moms can learn positive coping mechanisms and really learn skills and tools to process grief and pain. And I can give one month free 
if you go to www.grievymomshaven.com slash bundles slash hope. <laughs> so you can go there and get one month free in Grievy Moms Haven and really start to, yeah, there it's, I'm just going to keep building it out and making it better and better, but there's meditations and they're all specific towards child loss and grief. So that's what mm-hmm. I think is so unique and special about it is because it's a place it really is a haven and a place where baby moms can come and feel seen, feel heard, know that they're not going crazy and connect with other moms through our group coaching calls and our messaging in between calls. So I have that. And then my website is meganhillica.com and you can find my podcast and all of my blog posts and other things on there too. Amazing. Thank you so much. Amazing. And that will all be in the show note. Thank you so, so much for- Thank you both for having me. From your car <laughs> while your family is in the school bus. I think that's so amazing. I love it. It's it great. is great. And they, I, that's one thing I love about this is just learning to be flexible. So oh, where do you, you record the Grieving Moms podcast? It depends. Last two episodes were recorded in a hotel, but it was only because my husband had flown out to Utah. And so me and the kids went to a hotel. So- that's where I recorded those ones. All right. I just wondered if you also recorded from the car. (laughs) (laughs) I have, I have recorded in the car. (laughs) I'm not going to say I haven't because I mean, when you have six kids and they're crying or somebody wakes up, it's like, ah, stop. (laughs) Well, when you live in a school bus, yeah, you can't get away from it. Yeah. So amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, ladies. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Now What Pod. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. You can find us on social media at the Now What Pod. Until next time, we're Tisha and Jen. Remember, your story matters and you do too.